A SARS-like virus now reached the United States. This really came from a market that sold seafood and put the mask back on. I want to tell you a little something about trust. It may be the most important thing you can have in this life. Can I not clearly explain the circle of trust to you, Greg? No trust, no healthy relationships. No trust, you're paranoid at work. No trust in God, no faith. No trust, and every institution will crumble. We've lost trust, all of it, and not just in America, throughout the entire damn world. And it's really no mystery why. They lied to us over and over and over and over and over again. The NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research. We didn't give them this much power. They took it with all those lies, and they still are. We did fight back. We may not agree with them, but the rules are the rules. And we still are. FDNY personnel who oppose the mandate are making their feelings known. But they have so much control with blackmail, lies, manipulation, money. Their slimy, evil tentacles are wrapped around every institution, every avenue that could possibly lead us to truth. Every avenue, but this one. We're just one of the few that refuse to submit, refuse to bend the knee, refuse to let this COVID catastrophe go unanswered. Because without trust, this nation fails. And the only way to restore trust is with a little bit of truth. It makes me very uncomfortable to have to say something, but he is egregiously incorrect in what he says. Thank you. Thank History you. will figure that out on its own. Truth is the only way to restore this nation and to restore every fiber of freedom that runs through. So tonight, we expose the truth of what happened. Not only the origin, the moves, the players involved in this entire pandemic narrative that is destroying us, but we'll show you the cover-up of all of it as well. Tonight, crimes or cover-up? Exposing the world's most dangerous lie. Hello, America. 15 days to flatten the curve. You remember that? It was a different world back then. We, I think, all wanted to do the right thing. We didn't know what we were dealing with at the time. We saw the leaked videos from China that was you know, showing soldiers locking people into houses and drones ordering people home and the overflowing hospitals. It was a scary time. What's happened since? 15 days has now turned into 612 days and the curve has long been flattened. We've gone from we have to flatten the curve to we have to uh, get herd uh, immunity to we have to have a vaccine. All of those things seemed impossible. Now we have a vaccine and it's still going on. The real problem here is we've stopped trusting one another. When did that happen to us? I know we might disagree. You might be watching this now with a friend who says, I hate Glenn Beck. That's fine. But I think if you would listen and we had an opportunity to talk like we do now, I think you'd see we have a lot more in common. I don't have a problem with the vaccine. I have a problem with, with everything I'm going to show you tonight. 
We've had people now chasing others down in public, shouting at them to put on a mask. We've had local governments encouraging neighbors to inform on one another. This is the Stasi. That's not America. We now have politicians, federal agencies, big tech, corporate America, all working together. It's the largest public-private partnership since World War II, and it's underway. And you don't know the half of it until tonight. We're not at war. They like to use war footing wording, but that's just to perpetuate what they're building. So when did things turn? This is why COVID, more specifically, the COVID origin story is so important to understand. Who was involved? Where did it come from? How did the pandemic begin? You know, wouldn't it be weird to find out that the, per- the people that are currently pushing the mandates and infinite booster shots were the exact same people who were working to create the vaccines years before the pandemic? But not only that, but... Well, listen to this from Dr. Fauci. Senator Paul, with all due respect, you are entirely and completely incorrect that the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute Do they fund Dr. Barrick? We do not fund... Do you fund Dr. Barrick's gain-of-function research? Dr. Barrick does not do gain-of-function research He's pretty adamant. It's pretty clear. The U.S. government was not and never has funded gain of research. Is that true? Most people don't even know what gain of research, a great gain of function is. We don't know. Makes it easy to cover things up if people don't know. You will know tonight. And all of the questions that you've had, I think, will be answered by the end of this two-hour broadcast, commercial-free. After this broadcast, we're going to do something special just on Blaze TV with Steve Dace, who has been following every thread of this pandemic. He's actually written a book on Anthony Fauci. If you have any questions about COVID, Fauci, the vaccine, or anything that you don't understand in today, in today's episode, um, or you have questions that you wouldn't dare ask in public for fear of losing your job or some other insane form of societal retribution, you'll want to participate in the Blaze TV-only Q&A with Steve, Daniel Horowitz, and Dr. Ryan Cole, happening immediately after this show, only on the network. They're going to answer all of your questions from subscribers in the Blaze TV live chat, if you, if you have any, throughout the special. Use the promo code FAUCHILIED and get 25% off to join our Too Dangerous for Big Tech discussion, or if we happen to be pulled off of YouTube tonight. Steve is uh, joining us now. I just wanted to, uh, where is he? Steve, there you are. Um, Steve, um, you read the script last week. You've written the book on Fauci. Can you give people that might be tuning in, because we're going to be going through so much information, any advice going in, what to look for? My advice would be to have an open mind, and, and look for the, the context that ties all of these various threads together. Why does this never end? Why can't they tell us when it will end? 
Why can't they tell us what a success or win looks like? You said, you know, they want to use war footing, war language here. Well, you know what victory looks like in a war, right? The enemy surrenders. Mm -hmm. What does victory look like here? Why can't they give us those answers? It's because they're fighting a different war here than we think. They're not fighting a war against coronavirus. They're fighting a war against our way of life. And coronavirus is the means by which they want to fight it. And we're going to expose that here tonight. Okay. Um, we'll talk to you a little later on in the program. And then we look for your schedule, your uh, special in two hours. I know you have a couple of guests there that have not seen previews of what's on the chalkboard. Uh, and I'm anxious to hear what they say after the program, too. Thank you so much, Steve. Um, we are going to try to do something that, honestly, even I haven't tried to do before with the chalkboard and didn't realize until about one o'clock this afternoon when we started putting everything up on the chalkboard. In fact, um, we had to bring in a big, huge uh, metal. See behind me. These are all of the little magnets. I don't think we've ever when I was at Fox, I think that was the whole wall of magnets that we used for the whole thing. Um, those are the magnets that are going to go on this smaller chalkboard and you're going to get to know people intimately and there's a few players and we'll try to take the time if we can to really introduce them so you see don't worry when you're watching uh, tonight about getting every detail there is a ton of information coming your way just get the gist of it you can go back and watch it on blaze tv later but just get the gist of it and don't worry, I will go back after we have all of the three segments of the chalkboards done. I will show you the full picture towards the end of the broadcast. It is in three segments and the first segment is about war. And I wanna show you the vaccine arms race. This is the first part of it. The goal has been to end COVID, SARS, and all other deadly viruses. And this is really important for you to understand. I think most people who were involved in this um, at the beginning, uh, the scientists are trying, were trying to do the right thing. There was this idea of we're gonna be wiped out by a coronavirus. So why don't we go into all of the animal kingdom and test and see if we can get coronaviruses to go into humans without actually exposing any humans. We'd use lab animals. It's very controversial. It could wipe out all of humanity if you make a mistake. That's what this is about, the vaccine arms race. If we can get those viruses to go into lab animals that have human things in them, well, then we can make all of these vaccines and we'll all be healthy. Now, there's several allies to this. For instance, the allies, Dr. Fauci has been a big believer in this. The NIH, of course, which he runs. Um, the NIAID, this is also a government agency. There's a guy I'm gonna introduce you to in a minute. He is from South Carolina. He's a brilliant doctor, uh, Dr. Barrick. Um, he plays a very large role in all of this. Then there's something else, the Eco Health Alliance. You're gonna be introduced to the guy who actually runs that, Peter Daszak. Um, this is a big funder of this war. The Welcome Trust, who you'll meet at the end of this really frightening group of people, Moderna and Pfizer, all other medical uh, companies and pharmaceutical companies. Of course, if we could come up with vaccines and we're the first to it, it'd be great, right? There are some people that are on the Axis side. In any war, there's an allied in Axis. So who's on the bad side? Well, the coronaviruses, 
you know, they don't want to be wiped out. This guy you're going to meet later, Dr. David Relman, he's just representing the scientists that are like, wait, this is really dangerous. We shouldn't do it. And there's a lot of those scientists that say that. Moderna, and wait a minute, Pfizer is on here too. How can they be both an ally and Axis power? You'll see right towards the beginning. Now, in every war that I've ever seen, there's one neutral country. And they usually choose to be neutral. In this particular war, the vaccine arms race, they don't choose to be neutral. They just don't know anything about it. Even though their life and their very walk of, of life, their society, culture, everything, even humanity itself, if this goes wrong, could be wiped out. But they don't know anything about it. The Switzerland, in this case, is you. Until tonight, we begin with our first chalkboard now, the vaccine arms race. Okay. All right. So I have Jason, who's our chief researcher and, and head writer. He's, he's playing Carol Merrill at the chalkboard uh, today. Sorry, Jason. Um, but he knows the story, and it's a very complex chalkboard. When does, when does the, the arms race first start? When does this all start? Probably not when they think. November 2002. 2002. It's a long story, for the love of Pete. That's why it's two hours long. <laughs> the COVID-19 origin story is a tale of an international <clears throat> arms race, a mad dash to create a vaccine. And it doesn't begin where everybody thinks it does. The players and the people involved would like you to believe that it just kicked off last year. But all of this started in November 2002. Do you remember 2000, what was it, uh, 2005, the SARS outbreak in China? The Chinese did what they usually do. They hid the information for months before finally reporting something was going on in China. In the end, over 8,000 people would be dead, spread out over 26 countries. This scared the crap out of scientists all over the world. The question on their mind was, is this a sign of what is coming? Will the next big coronavirus be the planet killer that they've been fearing? This is what kicked off the vaccine arms race because the scientific community split. Half of them said, we've got to test everything. And the other half said, let's not make it. Have you seen the movies before? It doesn't work out well. So in October 2005, three years after the SARS outbreak, Dr. Ralph Barrick, he's an important guy. He's an American citizen. He's uh, out of the uh, University, I think, of South Carolina or North, North, Carolina. North Carolina. He published his progress, and this is it. This is his published report, Development of Mouse Hepatitis Virus and SARS-CoV-2 Infectious DNA Constructs. Okay? This research was heralded in the day as a new era in coronavirus genetics and cloning. Meanwhile, the United States government was making all of the moves that all of us missed. Just months after he published this research, December 2005, the government passed an emergency supplemental appropriations to address hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico and Pandemic Influenza, Influenza Act, because obviously the hurricanes 
and the flu go hand in hand, right? Nobody, nobody paid attention to this. This is why you have to read everything when the government publishes their little 20,000 page bills. This one, this is the actual emergency act, and this is, this is on page 119. There's a little fact here that's tucked away. How would you know? It is the last page, the rule of construction concerning national vaccine injury and compensation program. Here it is. Guess what it does? It officially grants liability waivers to pharmaceutical companies working on emergency use authorization vaccines. So let's just say the pandemic happens and the, gov the government says we got to have a vaccine. It's an emergency. And companies like Moderna and Pfizer ramp up vaccine research and production. Now, let's say you suffer from a side effect because it's an experimental rushed vaccine. Well, you can't sue anybody because this was passed. This is the government saying there's no lawsuits on this. None. Now, that's good for the collective, but bad for the individual. But that's exactly how big government works, and that's how it's sold. It's interesting that this got pushed through under hurricane appropriations at exactly the same time the vaccine arms race was kicking off. It also signaled something else again that we all missed the government was making moves now in tandem with giant pharmaceutical companies i'll come back to that in a second and it's probably going to piss you off a little bit the government put protection in place the coronavirus vaccine arms race kicked into high gear because of it in january 2007 barrick then published another paper this one is on mouse-adapted SARS coronavirus. Mouse-adapted, what is that? Okay, so they go and they find a bat, and uh, they're looking for coronaviruses. And, uh, and what they wanna do is they wanna put that coronavirus from another animal into this animal. So what they do is they take this little bit of the DNA, where is that? Well, I don't know where, ooh, I think I just, oh, you know what? We don't get it out of the back. We have, we get it out of their poop. So it poops it out. And then we put it into a mouse. Okay, so this is what this is about. A mouse-adapted SARS coronavirus, okay, causes mortality in mice. It was published in the National Institute of Health website. That's the NIH, that is... Anthony Fauci's place. Following the money, you'll notice that the government was fully invested in Barrick's research uh, with multiple grants from the NIAID, NIH, and HHS. So we have Ralph Barrick working out of a lab at the University of North Carolina with government funding from Fauci's place. But that's the start. There was another lab also in the arms race on the other side of the planet. This was the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China. While Barrick's lab was using mice to clone the virus, a woman named Dr. Xi, she, you might've heard of her, she's the bat lady. Together with Peter Daszak, this is an important guy, he's an American, he is the head of Eco Health Alliance. 
They were busy looking for the source. They weren't worried about the mice. They were looking for the bat poop. They were looking for the coronavirus. In October 2013, they found it. She and Dazak found a treasure trove of coronavirus samplings in bat caves in remote China, including one they had never seen before. Well, once Barrick here in the United States heard this, he immediately reached out to Xi asking for its genetic data of the bat crap. She obliged. Well, she wasn't able to culture the virus in her lab, but Barrick had new era coronavirus research, and it allowed him to take the spike gene that you've heard about from this new virus and move it into the SARS virus that he had already had already um, made to see if it could be passed from bats or from mice to people. Will it make people sick? Now, this is an important phase of the arm race, also highly controversial. I've, I know you've heard about the dangers of gain-of-function research. This is the act of taking a virus from one animal, then taking a little piece from humans, and then put that with the bat crap that we just got out of there. So you have the human, and you're going to put that into a mouse with a bit of the virus from the bat crap, and you're going to put that into the mouse. Okay? And then we're going to see if the mouse gets sick, because it has humanized lungs, for instance. Will this make it more transmissible to humans? If so, then they make a vaccine. If everything goes right. Well, apparently somebody in the government got really spooked because it was October 2014 where the United States government halted all of the funding on gain-of-function research. Dr. Barrick was included in this. But guess what happened? He was given a waiver to keep going. So there's a new law. You can't do any of this, except for you. Not only that, the U.S. government funded and continued to fund Peter Daszak and the EcoHealth Alliance, who was directing those funds directly to Dr. Xi in China. Our money through a front organization to Xi. Not all the scientific community was sold on this kind of research. I'm going to show you a conference that Dr. Barrick attended in 2014. The highly respected microbiologist David Relman asked Barrick directly if his work would involve gain-of-function tweaks that would increase coronavirus danger to humans. Watch. At this point, I don't know of anyone doing transmissibility studies with the human coronaviruses. Did you notice? That, that's not an answer to the question. He said, I don't know of anybody doing that. But that's not what he was asked. I'll save you from the boring science babble. His reasoning was, it's just too hard. Well, Relman caught that and pressed on. Watch. But, but just to clarify, your, your, your thought is that, that they aren't appropriate simply because they're technically not feasible right now, as described. Suppose you had a transgenic animal with human receptor, and there was evidence that there was some predictability for human-to-human -human respiratory transmissibility. Would, would that experiment be appropriate, do you think? 
Um, again, that's a that's a difficult experiment. So when you no. when you adapt um, the a coronavirus to another species, mm -hmm. it's not just the receptor interaction. Mm. In fact, there are three or four other genes that are absolutely critical for enhanced replication and pathogenesis. So just putting the human receptor in and making a transgenic model and then trying to select, use that as a model for increased transmissibility um, is not predictable. You could, the, um, as far as I can tell at this time. I mean, I've always wanted a mouse with a window in it. Basically what he's saying is, you can't just do those three little pieces. There's so much more and it's so, he's not doing gain of function again because it's not possible at the time. But did you catch the little slip of the tongue there? I want you to watch again. So just putting the human receptor in and making a transgenic model. Hmm. Didn't it sound like he was saying a transgenic mouse and then caught himself and said model? And that's really interesting because guess what Barrick publishes this is unbelievable. November 2015. It's an announcement of a brand new coronavirus Frankenstein that can spread to humans. And how do they know? Because they made transgenic mice to bring it along. Well, that's weird. It's just a couple of months before he said it's impossible to do. Who were the hosts for this horror show? Dr. Barrick and Dr. Xi from China. Scientists immediately began to criticize Barrick and Xi's work as risky and dangerous. Do you remember when Fauci had his back and forth with Senator Paul saying, it's stupid, you're stupid, you call a gain of function, you don't even know what you're talking about. Well, let me show you this. This is a article, do I have it up here? Yes. Here's an article, debate over risky research, engineer bat virus, there's debate, blah, blah, blah. What is known as gain of function research? This article is one of the is one of the most highly respected journals uh, out there. It not only calls it gain of function, not once, but two times. So if this was so risky for American doctors, how in the heck did Barrick and Dazic think it was okay to help have the Chinese Communist Party help? I have to ask that question because it had to be on the minds of people like Dr. Barrett and Fauci over at the NIH, if they cared. When Barrick first published his new Frankenstein virus, I have to tell you, he conveniently left off one thing. In April 2016, he issued a correction. The correction, just the small, small fact, that part of his research was done via funding from the U.S. government to Peter Daszak and Echo Health Alliance directly to Dr. Xi in China. Hello? Calling Rand Paul. Why did he initially leave that part out? What's with the correction? Don't worry. He left something else out that we'll get to in the last part of the show, and it's kind of a big deal. Now, we reached out to Dr. Barrick to ask him, why did you leave off the funding disclosure in the uh, Echo or Eco Health Alliance in 2015? So far, he hasn't called us back. By November 2017, Dr. Xi then took her collaboration with Barrick and began publishing on her own. This is her research. But she was doing it now in Wuhan. 
All of these people were working on gain-of-function research on coronavirus, despite the moratorium. But in December 2017, Fauci's NIH made it official and removed the funding pause. I guess they figured, I mean, they're using our money anyway, might as well just be open about it. We also reached out to Dr. Fauci and the NIH to get an on-the-record response for why they officially lifted the pause no response. Meanwhile, all of our players here on the chalkboard continue their collaboration. Just to remind you, Peter Daszak, Dr. Barrick, uh, and Dr. Xi, Wuhan, and the United States with Fauci. Here's an email from 26, uh, 2018 in January. This email shows that Daszak's EcoHealth Eco Alliance paid Dr. Barrick an undisclosed honorarium fee for an unknown service. Okay. I mean, if any of these people are ever testifying in front of Congress and Congress actually can do something about it, this is probably something they should ask about. I mean, it's insane how much stuff is just flying under the radar. And um, nobody in the media seems to care. Can I ask you something? I don't care who you voted for. Do you feel the government or anyone in the government or the media is actually relating and f relating to you and fighting for you to find the answers to the questions that you and your family have? Who will ask these questions? We've reached out again to EcoHealth Alliance as well as Dr. Barrick to ask them what this was all about. So far, no response, but it goes on. One month later, in February, Dr. Barrick was coordinating with Dr. Xi to go to her lab in Wuhan. So you have Dazik, Barrick, and Xi. It's one big gain-of-function pajama party, and the Frankenstein coronavirus was the guest of honor. We're still uncovering new information almost weekly on the extent of the collaboration between Barrick, Dazik, and Xi with funding directly from the U.S. government. Last month, the independent research firm, Drasic, revealed this grant proposal that was made in 2018. Now, this draft proposal is quite long, uh, and it's requesting funding from DARPA. Now listen to this, see if it sounds familiar. What this proposal is proposing is that DARPA would fund an, an idea where they inject bat coronavirus collected by the Wuhan lab into transgenic humanized mice and then try to make vaccines. They even mention using test cave sites to do some of these experiments. Now. Taking a look at all the players involved, you will see all of the people that are involved in this uh, are all on the bandwagon to do that come hell or high water. Barrick and she were right there along for the ride. I can't imagine the proposal reviewers over at DARPA, one of the, the biggest group of minds we have in America, sitting around a table reading this and they say, wait a minute, hang on, I just want to see if I have this right. So this Dazig dude, he wants us to send him millions of dollars to do dangerous gain-of-function research while they work hand-in-hand -hand with the Chinese Communist Party? I mean, what could possibly go wrong with that? 
DARPA rejected the proposal. Look at what one of their reasons was. Quote, the team discusses risk mitigation strategies to address potential risks of the research to public health and animal safety, but it doesn't mention or assess potential risks of gain of function research. So even DARPA is calling this out for what it is. So why is Fauci telling Senator Paul the exact opposite? And where is anyone to come out with any of these facts? Believe me, we haven't even started yet. Here we have one arm of the government, DARPA, rejecting this research because they say it's dangerous. And then the other arm of the government, Fauci and the NIH, saying, here, we'll give you money. Funding through EcoHealth, Barrick, and Wuhan. And if these, quoting the rejection letter, risks were being proposed to DARPA, Who's to say that Dazek, Barrick, and she didn't continue the experiments in Wuhan anyway? This is another question that no one has been willing to ask because we're shut down the minute you ask it. Well, we asked Peter Dazek if the experiments did go on in China despite being rejected by DARPA. You can guess the response. He hasn't replied. No matter what scientist you listen to, they all say, and this is where they're going to lose you, the fern cleavage site on the COVID-19 spike protein, the thing that makes the virus so infectious to humans, is still a mystery. Okay, basically what they're saying is, we don't know where this came from. That's highly unusual for this long to go by, and we haven't found the animal. We haven't found the bat or the mouse. Now, people like Fauci say all of this is due to natural evolution. In fact, up until very recently, you were stomped out of existence if you said, this looks like it was made in a lab. Others say all of this proves the virus was manipulated in a lab. The proposal actually explains it. The one to DARPA, quote, we will analyze all SARS COVID S gene sequences for appropriately conserved protolaic cleavage sites in S2 for the presence of potential fern cleavage sites where clear mismatches occur. We will introduce human specific cleavage sites. That basically what that means is we're going to take the stuff out of her and we're going to put that human stuff, basically the stuff that's in our lungs and make humanized lungs in mice. Then we're going to find a lot of bat crap. We're going to find some really crazy, really dangerous virus. And we're going to then introduce it into the mouse to see if the mouse starts to go. <coughs> That's the mystery. And it was all set to be tested in Wuhan. Does anyone still really doubt the lab leak? Oh, yeah, but the proposal was rejected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Except they were still getting money from Fauci at NIH through EcoHealth. All of our players that have been collaborating for, <coughs> for years, all of them are there. Now, for some reason, Fauci's NIH really, really, really wanted Dr. Barrett's research to go through extensive testing. And this relationship between Barrick, Dazik, and she is key. DARPA said no, but the Chinese Communist Party probably had fewer reservations. So the question is now, why? 
Why would you knowingly, as Fauci, give NIH money to EcoHealth, knowing full well that it was being directed to the Chinese in Wuhan? <laughs> it's almost like they have an ulterior motive here. Okay, if by some strange chance you're just standing, you might want to take a seat because this is going to piss you off. The Moderna mRNA technology, it's heralded as the next great leap in vaccines, a modern-day marvel for the pharmaceutical and medical industry. Oh, did you buy any stock for Moderna? Because, boy, they really hit it out of the park. For eight years, people have been looking at Moderna, who pioneered the technology. It was said to, quote, revolutionize medicine and disrupt the pharmaceutical industry. Clearly, anyone to first nail down this tech was going to be very, very wealthy. Are you ready? This is 153 pages of the confidential agreement between Moderna and the U.S. government. And it goes back to 2015. Jason, what was happening in 2015? Uh, Frankenstein coronavirus. That's right. The same time Dr. Barrick and Dr. Xi published their paper on the new Frankenstein coronavirus. In fact, let's skip down to page 104. It shows that the NIH and Moderna were collaborating with Dr. Barrick. Wow. His signature is on page 106 of the Material Transfer Agreement. But let's get back up to the top of this specific agreement. The NIH appears to be transferring the mRNA tech to Dr. Barrick. But look what they want to make clear. Quote, mRNA coronavirus vaccine candidates developed and jointly owned by the NIAID and Moderna. I'm sorry. I mean, I've seen ulterior motives before, but usually you see them coming. Did you know that the government co-owns the vaccine? Oh, by the way, this is not part of the Trump's thing. This is, this is not part of that. This is 2015. The same government that is now mandating its use owns the vaccine. Is there even a precedence for this? The inventor of the polio vaccine, I know, refused to patent it. The distribution was privately funded. The flu vaccine is an open source with global collaboration. You would think that this wouldn't be patented and held by the United States government. As of April, our government has paid Moderna $6 billion to support the vaccine that they co-own. So if we own 50% of it, are we getting paid? Are we getting a discount? Where's that money going to? And if we're not getting money, why the hell would we, why would, why would we have this agreement? Now, keep in mind that Moderna is a company that attempted to bring nine previous products to market, including with this mRNA technology. All were unsuccessful, all nine times. The most recent actually occurred right before COVID. Only once was Moderna even to, able to develop a product that advanced 
to human trials portion of development. So this is their first success, or is it? I mean, how many more unlimited booster shots are we going to have to have to take? I mean, in the next 10 years. And this might be the biggest conflict of interest case in all of mankind. Now, okay, I thought, well, maybe the government's smart. Maybe they're getting money. But why wouldn't they tell you this? What does the government gain here? Well, you don't need to look further than the Great Reset and their goal of public-private partnerships on a massive scale. They are now working in partnership with private pharmaceutical companies. They, all, these, all these politicians, we don't like those big pharma. They're in bed with them. They share ownership of intellectual property. They are now beholden to the federal government's whims and regulations. If they jump, the only answer is how high. This is the precedent they are moving towards for all of society, not just in America, but the entire Western world. We're seeing it now in industries across the spectrum. The biggest and most frightening right now is banking and big tech. It's the standard everywhere. Do you remember when we thought it was a little odd that the government shut down the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? It was, it was really nothing to worry about. In fact, the others had the same kind of flaws. And when they shut this down, when they shut down Johnson & Johnson, everything went off the rails. People stopped taking the medicine. That's when we started saying, well, we have to have a mandate. It never made sense to me. Maybe it makes a little more sense now. Johnson & Johnson vaccine isn't mRNA. The government owns the competitor to this. Why has the government been against so many, in fact, any kind of COVID treatment? They won't even talk about it. They won't talk about our natural immunity. And if things come up like hydroxychloroquine and most recently ivermectin, horse dewormer they destroy it how many people have died because the government is undermining treatments and your private physician while simultaneously pimping a vaccine that they own now they want to push their vaccine on everybody who has a heartbeat including five to eleven year olds the flu for five to 11 year olds is more dangerous by far than the COVID virus. This is a group that has almost a zero risk from COVID. Why would they do that? Well, for a couple of reasons. Because they own it, every dose administer must sound like the rapid cha-ching of millions of cash registers. Also control. I also find it interesting that the only treatment that Fauci hasn't smeared is remdesivir, right? Well, who developed it? Oh, my gosh. Dr. Barrick. He did. The same guy that did the... That's weird. But surely we didn't fund it. I mean, who... Oh, no, we did. Dr. Fauci's NIH funded the basic research. That's weird. Well, I mean, the only thing that would be weirder is if, if China and the Wuhan lab was involved. And that's certainly, holy crap, there it is. Wuhan Institute of Virology applied to patent the use. Wow. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You can't. Let's go back to the signature page of the transfer agreement. 
I want you to take a look at the date. 12-12-2019. Huh. What was happening in 2019? What was happening in 2019 in December? Is that when cases were first starting to pop up in China? That's, get out of here, get out of here, be, that's crazy. That couldn't, oh yes, that's when COVID-19 cases were starting to be reported <laughs> in a little place that none of us ever heard of, Wuhan, which ends the first chapter of this. Read into what you want, but that date takes us right to the next chalkboard. The pandemic begins. Let's go to Steve. Steve, am I blowing this out of proportion with the ownership? No, no, not at all, Glenn. And when when you consider that the, the, the purpose of this gain-of-function research specifically was to gauge what they called spillover potential. It's not even just that the methodology of this research is dangerous, but its explicit purpose in this case was to see what would cause one of these bat coronaviruses to spill over into a human. So you're really talking here about the tempting of fate. It's not just a dangerous methodology, but the, you're, you're really creating a potential fate accompli here with a dangerous purpose at the exact same time. I've got here with me, and he'll be joining us for the Q&A that we'll be doing uh, after you finish here tonight, Glenn, Dr. Ryan Cole. Uh, he is a Mayo-trained pathologist, Ryan, how between tests and treatments and studies and samples, is it over 150,000 samples or cases of coronaviruses that you have, or COVID-19 that you've dealt with? That's correct. 150,000. 150,000. In other words, you, you, you kind of know this virus inside and out. Yeah, for better or for worse, I do. Yes. And on purpose, I did not give you the rundown of what uh, we were going to talk about here tonight. So I've been sitting here with you, watching you as you react to this. And that's my first question to you, kind of be the proxy for the audience here, because they're seeing this for the first time too. Your reaction to the initial dot connecting here done by Glenn and his team. Well, I, I like to hail back to a quote from Mark Twain, and that's the man who does not read has no advantage over the man who cannot read. <laughs> and I think in this era of us being shut down from information or choosing not to maybe dive deep into the weeds and, and find these interconnecting links, this is important. This is history, and this is history repeating itself. And this is groups of scientists taking advantage of humanity in ways that are obvious, obviously dangerous, and we're paying the price for their playing in the playground uh, where they shouldn't have been playing. And I think it's very important to listen to what's being presented because this does connect the dots. This is science gone awry, but science gone awry intentionally for the benefit of a few to the detriment of many. Mm. Glenn, back to that second chalkboard. Thank you very much. Okay, <clears throat> so we've introduced you to the players. We have, we've taken you up to a place, but there still is, there's, there's no proof that this was lab, that this happened in, that all these people, we know that Dr. Barrick, Peter Daszak, were working with Dr. Xi for years, 
We know that she was part of the DARPA proposal to continue gain-of-function research on a larger, even riskier level in 2018, and DARPA said no. Now, we are told, when, when, when are we told officially that, that the pandemic begins? December 31st, 20. End of December, okay. I've been curious about the months leading up to the time when the cases started being reported in China. Let me show you. This is a research paper uh, right here, published in 2020, and it's, it's all about the SARS-CoV-2 in transgenic mice. What's weird about this is this work, the paper came out in 2020, but the work was conducted in the summer of 2019. And it is exactly the kind of work that Dr. Xi was working on with Barrick and Dazic, as in the exact same kind of research DARPA thought was a little out of bounds. All right, so this was happening. They did all that testing, according to this, in the summer of 2019. Now, let me take you to September of 2019. This is months before the coronavirus breaks out. There is a database in the Wuhan uh, labs that catalogs all of the data. And then something happened. All of a sudden, poof, everything goes down. Now, this is an archived system. It's a report for the Wuhan's lab database for September. You'll notice everything is green until the 12th. Then it's just all red. Nothing is happening. The database is gone. Well, she says that the BBC, the, she was on the BBC, she said to the BBC that they did it deliberately for security reasons. Her claim, conveniently, is that they were hacked. Okay, I mean, maybe, possibly, I mean, that happens. Being that the pandemic would officially begin three months later, I think it's fair to ask a couple of follow-up questions um, because, I mean, it's a great place to hide things. Was there another Frankenstein coronavirus hidden away in the database that her and her team had been working on? Now, just with that one thing, that's, you know, that's okay. So the database went down. But the same day that that Dr. Xi took down the database, September 12th, a request was made for additional security. Okay, again, somebody hacks in. Let's take her at her word. They hack in. All right. Well, we should have extra security. Something is going on in the Wuhan lab as early as September, right after they're doing the research and trying to get gain of function in mice. The virus database shuts down, security is called in. Then, four days later, and here is the official Chinese request, they start scrambling to update their whole air handling system. This is the official Chinese document announcing the transformation of that system. That is weird timing, especially if somebody's trying to hack in and you're under attack. Do you then go, you know what, we should change the air handling system. Whatever's going on there didn't deter the Chinese. Because the World Military Games kicked off in Wuhan just a few weeks later in October. Now, this is where it gets really weird. 10,000 international athletes attended from more, than, from more than 100 countries. One athlete that attended said the streets of Wuhan were, quote, nearly empty.
and it was like a ghost town, end quote. Now, when everybody arrived at the airport, strangely, the athletes had their temperatures recorded. They were also forced to wash their hands when they ever entered any building. This, by the way, is in October. Multiple athletes later got sick with COVID-like symptoms and spread it back to their families back home. This is a document here that reports, this is leaked from the Chinese ministry, we found in research provided by Drassic. Uh, it shows that at least 10 hospitals in Wuhan were already receiving COVID cases in October. We've already got weird activity going on at the lab just a few weeks earlier than the international athletes begin showing up in Wuhan, getting their temperatures checked at the airport. Streets are vacant. One athlete says, quote, there were rumors that the government warned inhabitants not to go outside. So why did China push through these games? Keep in mind here that the Chinese Communist Party would not officially tell the WHO about COVID for another two months. But let's go back to the Wuhan lab. Um, we have to add another hospital because November 3rd, three researchers from the Wuhan lab got so sick with COVID-like symptoms that they had to go to the hospital. So something was happening from September through November. But China isn't playing nicely with the data that they've gathered from those early days. I wonder why. Is it possible that they're hiding Xi's Frankenstein coronavirus that we helped develop? Meanwhile, inside the lab, this comes out December 3rd. This is another Chinese document where they make a request for an air incinerator on December 3rd. Whatever's happening at the Wuhan lab during this time frame, it required the elimination of more medical waste than what they're used to. It's clear they were scrambling. Something is going on at the Wuhan lab. Their researchers are getting sick with COVID-like symptoms. COVID cases are popping up all over the city, but still China refuses to say anything. And not only that, they were about to shift into full-on cover-up mode. In late December, a Chinese doctor working at a Wuhan hospital warned some of her colleagues on a group text that SARS-like virus was breaking out all over the place. One of the doctors in the group posted the warning on Chinese social media and it started to spiral. Both doctors were threatened by the government. Doctors and scientists analyzing the virus were ordered to stop testing, destroy samples and suppress the information. By that time, the cat was out of the bag, and China finally reported the WHO on December 31st that indeed, Houston, there is a problem. But they withheld key information. Officials from the U.S., the CDC, traveled to Wuhan on January 8th to see what was going on. But the Chinese kept it quiet. People in the hospitals were contracting COVID and other, uh, by infecting other patients and other infected patients were infecting others. In other words, China knew at that time that COVID spread from human to human transmission. And why wouldn't they? Dr. Xi had been working on similar viruses with Dr. Barrett since at least 2013. They knew. The CDC, however, bought it, did they?
And the WHO sent this tweet six days later, quote, Preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence to human-to-human -human transmission of the novel uh, coronavirus. How many lives were lost? How many people died directly from this lie by China? How many? After all of this, it seems pretty obvious that China was involved in a cover-up. But it wasn't just to save face. As I've shown you, the Chinese scientists have been collaborating with U.S. scientists and receiving U.S. government funding on their experiments from Fauci and the NIH through EcoHealth. Even DARPA and many scientists have said this is too risky and too dangerous. The Chinese knew it and tried to cover it up. I wish it stopped there. I did. But there's a lot of people here in the United States that knew this as well. People like Dr. Fauci and Peter Daszak. When word of the pandemic started coming out, their first thought was not you or your family. They didn't think that they had to protect you. Their first thought was to protect the secret.